0: Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 45 for patrons. News of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez.
1: And I'm Brad Binkley.
0: Our top story is that it is Share the Show Tuesday. And this is the day that we ask listeners, fans, to send the episode to a friend or family member who you think is ready for some truth, who's questioning the propaganda, who wants to pull back the curtain, or maybe somebody who just cannot tolerate all the mainstream media agenda and spin and has stopped listening to the news, but has to be out there in the world, or has teenagers or people who are getting propagandized whom they have to deal with. We want those people back. We need to make sure that We are training our friends and family to look past the propaganda and then they can choose their ideology. They don't have to be left or right. They just it's better if they know the truth. And that is why we're here and what we do. Binkley and I used to be on WSB in Atlanta. It was the Monica Perez show. Had it for eight and a half years. We were politely escorted to the door after saying some stuff that, May or may not have been the cause of that, but it certainly was too hot for the mainstream. So we brought our talents to podcasting, but still use that format where it's daily news. We get you the headlines. We try to do it, you know, more or less rapid fire. It's just us two, though. So we really like it when you help us source some stories. You can go to the press pool uh, at the dot com and let us know stories of the day that you're afraid we might miss or correct us if we get something wrong. But we are doing this because we are concerned that all the news these days has an agenda. We want to pull back the curtain, expose the facts behind the propaganda so you can make your own choices. So that's what it's all about. It is Share the Show Tuesday. Think of somebody right now you want to share the show with. And now on with the show. Big story in the past couple of days, maybe a week or two since... There was a well, obviously publicized shooting in Atlanta of a guy who was uncomfortable with how Asian massage parlors made him feel or made what they encouraged him to do. So he killed people in. That's what the official story is, uh, Asian women primarily in these massage parlors. So since then, that kind of launched a propaganda effort to let us know, to really raise awareness to uh, Asian, to hate, you know, Asian American hate. I'm not sure, and I'm so skeptical of what drives the mainstream media. I am not actually sure if they do it to raise awareness and try to tamp it down or raise awareness and try to gin it up. But there have been a lot of stories since then. There was one story I saw yesterday about an older Asian woman in San Francisco. Pictures looked like she was attacked by a white guy, but she beat him back and sent him to the hospital, Flip the script. And today we see a really, really fishy video out of New York of a black guy uh, brutally attacking uh, a woman who we are told is an older Asian woman. And... Uh, uh, it was a very sketchy video, Binkley. Did you see that video?
1: Is that the one that was on a subway?
0: No, that was a guy. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see that one. But uh, this one was on the street. You see it's a, a lobby ca- camera, like, you know, surveillance camera in an apartment building or some kind of lobby. And you see perfect view of a woman walking outside. But there's a lot of lights. So you can't, like, really see what she looks like. She's walking outside. She kind of slows down and stops. She has her hands in her pockets. And a guy walks up to her. But later you see a picture. It's a black guy, and he just starts punching her and kicking her. The guys inside the lobby, like the doorman or whoever they were, see this going on, and they walk over and they close the door. They close the door. They don't so help her. These are the ones
1: her. that got fired. I did see that that part of. Okay, it. Okay, I don't I don't know, but I'll tell you.
0: For me, like you could say, oh, they're New Yorkers, they're a-holes, they should have helped, whatever. I'm telling you, I am from New York. And if something like that, like kind of totally out of the ordinary happens, or maybe it looks fishy or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's possible. It didn't didn't look 100% kosher to me, that video. So it is possible that they didn't think it was what you see is what you get. And there's a lot of cons and scams in New York. So maybe they thought they were going to get lured out there. And, you know, like she was it didn't look like she was acting. But like, I really question the narrative. But some third story that came out and all it was is the tiniest hint. But I have a feeling I know the next phase of this dialectic. And this is what I think it is. I heard a story in Fox headline today that a family, I think it was in Texas, a dog bit a home invader and drove him away. I think that was the story I heard. But the home invader had a name that sounded maybe Vietnamese or Asian. I know there's like a big Cambodian community, I think, in some cities in Texas. But it immediately made me think, okay, so why is this story of a of an uh, of a burglar getting bit by a dog in a state a thousand miles away or whatever, why am I hearing this story? And it was very unusual to hear this like tongue twister of a name of the perp being reported. And I thought, I bet the next leg of this dialectic is going to be a focus on Asian gangs. So you're going to have, you know, you're going to have Asian oriented crime, you know, originated crime. Of course, this is also going with a story we're going to talk about later in the show about the World Health Organization investigating China as the origin of the Wuhan virus, I guess. So we can talk about how all those factors are piecing together. But I just feel like we're we are seeing the other side of this dialectic will roll out.
1: That's interesting. The first story that you mentioned, the aspect where the people shut the door and didn't do anything, which if that's true, it it on the surface it doesn't look good at all. And from what I understand, those people lost their jobs, the hotel fired them. But there was another story where there was a similar narrative about this uh people watching, the bystanders filming but not doing anything, including people who appeared to be in the service, they had they had full they had the camo on. They had the the whole outfit, not just like a regular person. They were definitely military people. It was the one where the two thirteen year olds tasered the. It was an, he was an Uber driver or a Lyft driver or something like that, and they tasered him and were trying to steal his car. And he wasn't Asian, but he I think he was Indian. And the media hasn't covered this story as much. And he would they were he they were trying to steal his car. And he was hanging on to the car. He was, like, kind of outside of the car. And he was saying, it's my car. It's my car. There's a video of this. And the girl speeds off. And so the guys... A 13-year-old? Hang- yeah. Inside, they drive off. He's hanging on the car saying, this is my car. This is my car. And this is after they tasered him. And she gets into an accident. You can see the... It's it's from a distance. And, again, it's hard to tell what's what's really going on when you watch some of this stuff. But what... You think you see when you watch it is it looks like the doors kind of part open and she hits something and it just kind of and the guy died. So, oh, wow. they tasered him, took his car. He tried to hang on to the car. The, she sped off with him hanging on and they got into an accident and he died and the car was flipped over. And you can see the person filming kind of following after. And you see the people who are in the service who have the full, full camo on kind of telling people to get away. There's gas leaking and the two girls climb out of the car and are kind of sc- scamper off. And then one of them comes back, and says my phone's in there, my phone's in there, which is terrible because the, the story is that she just killed somebody after, you know, it, it's a bad story. That's not going to get covered. This is much. a
0: new story. Just yeah, came this out. happened.
1: I found out about it yesterday. I think it might've come out even before then, but it's not getting as much coverage as the other one, because as we see, the the Asian angle is getting more focused right now. But part of this story was look at the people standing there doing nothing, which is also an angle in that story that you just brought. I'm wondering if this whole idea that you are supposed to and you're supposed to take action and do something, trying to get on one hand, they're trying to get people not to be vigilantes because of the laws in Georgia and what happened with, with Aubrey. On the other hand, it looks like there could be a, a kind of counter narrative you are supposed to step in and do something, but perhaps only in the context where the social justice aspect of it is the correct choice.
0: Wow, this is nuts. Yeah, it says a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old killed the Uber Eats driver when they tried to steal his car. This was in Virginia. And uh, do you think that it, I mean, normally I would think that something like this would only be kind of a setup if it it was getting a lot of press. Now, I'm reading it in a UK newspaper, so maybe it's it is like a a something that was manufactured. But for the foreign audience to talk about how awful we are, I don't know.
1: Yeah, Um, Uh, the story on the stage is terrible. Yeah, it's just yeah, yeah, no, it's
0: it's absolutely awful. Um, They're showing the GoFundMe pictures here. So yeah, but I, I I definitely think that there is an awful lot of like there's an agenda, obviously, that was launched this, um, you know, and I, I, I've been trying to figure out is the is the Asian hate angle coming in because it's gonna feed Q's anti Chinese xenophobia, the Christian thing. And I'm not saying that is what Q is, I'm saying that is the narrative of Q and this could feed into the narrative of Q. Yeah. I
1: don't know. I think there's a possibility that a lot of Asian people, we saw a lot of Asian people at the January 6th, March. There was We saw the people in the crowd. We interviewed you know, your friend and we saw the pictures. There was a lot of Asian people there, presumably because they're anti-communist and they liked Trump's position or at least his rhetoric on, on China. And perhaps there's a, an effort here to stop people who are Asian American from going right of center by promoting this idea. I'm not saying there's not hate that goes on. There's there's no that's an excellent point.
0: Yeah, yep. they want to they want to make sure that every single minority, whether the model minority or not, is in in that quilt of identity politics on the left, which is the patchwork. Whereas the one on the right, thanks to Trump, has this like a white Nazi thing. Excellent point.
1: Yeah, they did have it on SNL. SNL just covered the gamut of every single Hot topic propaganda talking point called for gun control. They had like three sketches about vaccines. One of them was a rap called Boomers Got the Vax. This whole celebrating, having a party vaccine thing. It's, it's embarrassing to watch. It's not, there's no humor in it at all. It's pure propaganda. Kamala and her husband were, they glorified their relationship. They had one of the the, I can't remember the name of the cast member, Maya something, come back and play Kamala. And they they perfectly played up the He's a cuck, and she is the dominant person in the relationship. It was just blatant. And they like that, right? Yeah, totally. Totally the progressive relationship they're trying to promote. Sidney Powell was portrayed as crazy. And then they had this segment where they, they have one Asian cast member. He's the first ever Asian cast member. He got cast like a year and a half ago after the other comic who was cast, the white guy, they unearthed, this is what they said, they unearthed racist comments that he made. Uh, about Asian people, I believe is about Asian people. And then so they didn't cast him and they instead cast their first ever Asian cast member, who is this person. And he's, he's the worst cast member on there. He's not, he he does the same thing every time. I I won't go into my commentary on that, but he did a segment every now and then they do a segment where they say, we need to be serious for a second, not be funny. And we're going to talk to you about hate, Asian hate. And so he does his. Like three to four minute segment where he preaches to America about Asian hate. It was so cringeworthy because he was trying to be funny, too. But it was it was not lining up with the message he was delivering. And it was like they said, look, you need to go out there. And I mean, they might as well call him Token that's exactly yeah it was so weird like to i'm watch. sure he
0: was just like can't i just be funny like could you make this more obvious that <laughs> that's, he was trying
1: to be funny with it but the message they were making him deliver yeah was not a funny one that's at
0: uncool all. like that's one of the problems with affirmative action it's like all of a sudden you're in this position you have to represent in some way that maybe like you don't want all like maybe you want your identity to be that you're funny
1: right and not, you know, this, not, not that not you're a deliverer asian. of this uh, social justice yeah. message about uh, being asian and you're right that is kind of you're the token you need to do this it was evident that they got a message that you must do this segment yeah. and it must say these things and they delivered it horribly and it was awkward but they're trying to pump this message out Asian hate, Asian hate, and it's come on... I, I noticed it subtly a few months ago, but it's come on fast lately. I'm telling you, I, I wouldn't be surprised if two weeks from now, you get
0: an Asian gang thing you happen. You could be
1: right about that. That's a good point. And yeah. It, it, isn't there a lot of that in California?
0: I mean, it never, ever gets any press, so I have absolutely no idea, but they say... Like even in Japan, like from what my understanding is like just very under the radar that the organized crime in Japan is really, really, really powerful, like scary, powerful. But you never really hear about it. I mean, you don't hear about stuff they don't want you to hear about. But you do hear about the guy who got stuck in the Suez Canal. This is a story that. I almost would have believed, except for that Snopes said it was true. And now I'm really like, I'm not even sure it's possible. I wish I had an expert who could tell me about this. So the Suez Canal, there's this ship like about as big as they get, the size of the Empire State Building laying down. It's full of containers. So many problems. So that this guy... Um, The Wall Street Journal continues to report that it was a windstorm or a sandstorm or some odd thing that turned this thing completely sideways and blocked the entire canal. I don't think that things that important can happen that ridiculously. And the head of the Suez Canal Authority said he thought it was human error. And in my my mind, it means human action, not necessarily an error if your goal is to disrupt. And it is highly disruptive. They've already talked about all the different things that's going to disrupt oil, chips, computer chips, not potato chips. Somebody asked me like, wow, no more chips. (laughs) Like I'm so
1: hooked. And
0: uh, and. Automobiles, now they're saying it's like manufacturing because of the supply chain. The containers themselves are like airplanes, like they need to come in and out of docks. And now they've all been piling up. So I think this all speaks to whether it's real or just imaginary. They want us to fear Being connected in a physical way. Now, the virtual globalism is definitely going to happen, but I feel like they're bringing us down. But the ridiculous thing that Snopes said was that the guy actually, while he was waiting or in the ocean or whatever, he drew with this gigantic ship. Gigantic. He actually maneuvered it in such a way, kind of like an Etch-A-Sketch. He maneuvered. He drove this thing around to make the outline of a penis and testicles in his course record. Right? Isn't that what the story was?
1: It was something like that. Yeah. So he did this after With the or before. Ship
0: before. He okay, can't have so done it after. It only just got freed.
1: So and then, and then also the ship got stuck.
0: Right. And we wouldn't even be looking at that unless like I you for me to believe it, you would have to show me a stack of 1000 similar things. Like it has to be just a thing they do because take one hundred and thirty. It's got to be if it's as tall as the Empire State Building, that's ten times that's ten feet times a hundred. It's got to be thirteen hundred. It's I think it's thirteen hundred feet long to maneuver like that. I mean, I just I find it very hard to believe, but whatever. And then finally Uh, to get it out, they they relied on this miraculous timing of a super moon that allowed this great tide to lift. And for me. These kind of stories, I don't believe them. I don't think that we're this vulnerable. And if, if they, if there were, if it actually did lift out because of the supermoon, I think they planned it around that or they planned it around the fact that the containers were empty or something. And I mean, there's just something fishy about the story, but it, it will serve a couple of purposes, if even just to say, like the atlantic called for the un needs to regulate shipping better through what's called the imo international maritime organization which is a un body stuff like that but this is just one of those things where it's going to have many different um agenda items and then like uh the one thing that i thought another thing that was weird is that al-sisi the our puppet in egypt just spent billions of dollars redoing the canal so so to the extent that you could possibly even say that mistakes like this are a function of bigger, newer ships and an older canal, even that doesn't hold water.
1: <laughs> yeah. A couple interesting things there. If you just drew a giant penis in the water with a ship and then your ship gets stuck and shuts down all of the world economy, then even if that's not the cause, you're probably feeling like a bonehead. And secondly, this imagery of... A ship the size of the Empire State Building toppled and stuck in the ocean it's interesting to me it's it's i'm picturing the building tipping over i don 't know if that's just me just if they're describing it in that way or if that's uh trying to some sort of messaging to signal something else i don 't know It's just weird for me to think of the Empire State Building floating in water
0: yeah, it is kind of weird um there are other Uh, One other thing that I think is I've mentioned before is uh, there was a whole article in the Wall Street Journal today right next to it saying that this will contribute to rising costs of shipping, rising costs of manufacturing. I mean, a one time event like this is not going to materially impact inflation. Yet I have read articles and references to this basically every day in the Wall Street Journal since it happened about how I mean, inflation comes when you when you print trillions of dollars of money. Which is what our government is doing right now. Yes, yeah. there's gonna be inflation. Has nothing to do with this.
1: It is called Evergreen too, right? Isn't that the name? Evergreen
0: is the company. The ship is called the ever given. Okay. But yeah, that's another thing. Like I noticed two years ago, like there was a shipping company that bit, letter, literally went bankrupt while there was a ship still in the ocean. And they were just like, we all quit. We're leaving. And they left the ship. And so there's something weird about shipping going on. I don't know. I'm sure the story will show itself over time, but I am highlighting a few things that we can see coming already. Yeah. So, but they, you know, um, there's also this whole sidestream thing, like all this, uh, a lot of, a lot of, you know, like, let us, I want to hear about the Mike Lindell story. Is that a quickie?
1: Yeah. Fodder for the imagination kind of. Uh, okay. Little,
0: yeah. I uh, just feel like there's stuff that's not in the mainstream media, but that they want us to see, yeah. want us to see and hear. Yeah. And this guy and the whole, like, Trump is a second president kind of thing. I see that a lot, but it's, it's what I think uh, Truth to Our Boy used to call sidestream.
1: He appeared on – Mike Lindell, the CEO of MyPello, he appeared on Steve Bannon's podcast, which is called War Room Pandemic, which is uh, kind of – he has interesting guests and sometimes some interesting information, but is overall kind of a ridiculous podcast, at least in the production of it. But on on Bannon's podcast, Mike Lindell said that the evidence that he's been gathering about election fraud since January 9th is going to be heard by the Supreme Court and that by August – Donald Trump will be back in office. That's the fodder for imagination that Boy. he's throwing out there by August and he said it enthusiastically and he he said it definitively but you know he's also a PR guy as the CEO of a major company and in that same vein he recently released a ad for My which is a Dr. Seuss themed ad where he's sitting there reading the book and it's it, it's kind of got the Dr. Dr. Seuss rhythm and then it's cutting to people that look like from the characters from The Grinch that Stole Christmas with the big hair because their pillows are all uncomfortable. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. <laughs> funny. So he drew attention to himself and his company with his wild statement about Donald Trump being back in office in August. And then you have this ad being released. So that's kind of a double whammy of, of viewers going to the MyPillow thing. I think it could be a, a nice little publicity stunt he did. And
0: you know the Dr. Seuss thing is Dr. Seuss was a racist, right? Right. Like that yes, was the big exactly. story. last. Books were
1: taken away. Yeah.
0: Before we get to the last big story of the Free 30, and in that, I'm very eager to hear Binkley tell us the first requirement of psychological warfare. That's something that we kind of think we'd hear in the Patron 15 quite a bit, but this is going to go for the... It's going to be the big finale for the Free 30 today. And in the patron 15, Binkley wants to warn us about the grandparents scam. So we've got to be aware of this. And I will tell you how LL Cool J is speaking truth to power. Oh, wow. It made me LMFAO. He is cool. And of course... We would love to thank and shout out our sponsor for today, which is Neighbors Feed and Seed, not only our sponsor of today's show, but also sponsor of our first meetup. It is going to be on Sunday, April 18th at 2 p.m. All are welcome. Uh, wear your sneakers. But uh, what can a person expect from Neighbors Feed and
1: Seed? Neighbor's Feed and Seed has all the goods you need for good living, sustainable living. They have chicken seed, bird seed, organic dog food, dog treats, organic heirloom seed packs. They have fantastic customer service. While they have awesome products, they have even better customer service. Bill, you call Bill, you call James, they will personally help you find what you need that matches your skill set and they will help inform you on how to improve your skill set when it comes to gardening. It's, it's a great family atmosphere. You will love it. Give them a call, stop by the shop. And they've got tons of new seeds in it. Right now, they have a special offer for Propaganda Report listeners. You get 20% off the Neighbors organic and non-GMO seed pack grab bag. Just type in the coupon code PROP REPORT in all caps, no spaces, when you check out and you'll get 20% off. And Bill says to email the store, call the store, and he'll answer any questions you have anytime you need. NeighborsFeedandSeed.com. Check them out. They're a fantastic company.
0: We love it when you support our sponsors. That supports us. They support us. And we also love it when you you support us. There are lots of ways to do that. You can get tons of extra content at patreon.com slash propaganda report and rockfin.com slash propaganda report. But if you want to help in other ways, you can't afford that or you don't need or want a um, extra Content, you can do more creative things. Today is Share the Show Tuesday. You can share the show with a specific person you think is ready for it, plus on all your social media. Also, you can stop right now and go to wherever you're listening to this and you leave a five-star review. That is the number one way we move up on the podcasting platforms, people are beginning to tell us all the time how they discovered us because we were suggested by a search engine. And let me tell you, that is a far cry from us getting taken down time and time again. I'm sure we'll get taken down in the future, but we are right now in a place where we can get pushed up on those search engines and get some new people before they close us down and we have to go to the tunnels. But uh, so please do that. Give us a five-star review. And also, uh, you know, there are some people who've done some really fun things and uh, creative ways of sharing. We absolutely love it when our listeners shout us out on other podcasts. We find that the podcasts that our listeners listen to are the same kind of podcasts that that the same audiences who would like our stuff. And we have a unique Offering, we do not, we're not uh, primarily interviews. We're news of the day. So we don't compete with the other podcasts. It's a perfect compliment. So if you want to shout us out at a podcast, that would be awesome. And uh, with that, if you do join Patreon, you will not hear these promotions anymore. You will get 15 more minutes of content, but I think the promotions are nice. I really like to. Spread the word for our sponsors who really help us and keep us going and help us form these communities without further ado Let us get on with the last big story of the free 30
1: All right, so in our latest rock fan series, which is on narrative warfare how they use narrative in psychological warfare There's a woman named Ajit Mon who is kind of an expert and she is an expert in the field she works for a think tank that. Deals with undermining the the unity of adversaries and trying to create unity of people who are with us or are not our enemies, according to her. And I'll tell you, she's insightful. We learned a lot about her insight during the Rockford video, and I got her book called Plato's Fear, which is on the use of narrative. And Plato's Fear, yeah, that's the title. I'm of this
0: dying part. to know what that means.
1: I think the Plato's Fear is the use of narrative and psychological warfare. What I'm gathering because she talks at the beginning of the book about how Plato would outlaw the use of emotion and the use of rhetoric in, in speaking and use art. Plato would outlaw artists, which he does in Socrates. They, they'd say, get rid of the artists because artists cause too much emotion in the people if you want to have a logical society. So Plato's fear is the use of artists and the use of narrative. And she's very much speaking about artists using narrative to um, shape and control the mindset of the public. And in the book, she gives you what the first requirement of psychological warfare is, and according to her, the first requirement of psychological warfare is the implementation of an influential narrative. And then she goes on to say a normalizing narrative. A normalizing narrative is one that appears to be a neutral description of a state of affairs, but is in fact ideologically empowered, strategically implemented, and motivated to control behavior.
0: You got to tell me that again. I can't absorb it.
1: She says that the first step, the first requirement for and for the implementation of psychological warfare is the use of an influential narrative and specifically she's speaking about what she calls a normalizing narrative. Now a normalizing narrative is a narrative that appears to be neutral. So it looks like it's neutral, a neut- it looks like a neutral description of what's going on, of the state of affairs. But actually this this Neutral description is actually ideologically empowered. It's strategically implemented and it's motivated to control behavior. And by ideologically mm-hmm. empowered, she means it's driven by the agenda of the ideology. So she goes on in this chapter. Yeah, is there an example?
0: Or like, what do you see. think? How do you how would you help me understand? This? Well,
1: the, the example is she gives an example of right wing extremists associating color with nationhood so associating white with america associating black with with other countries trying to tying tying she of course she uses those examples another example from in my opinion and we did hear them talk about in the rocks video is the 1619 project is that appears to be neutral and they appear to normalize it here's the way to think about it you speak about your ideology about the you speak about it as though it's normal even though it's not normal And you repeat it over and over and over again until the public also reacts to it as though it's normal. So we see all this kind of backward stuff going on in the media right now where it's you're wrong if you question how George Floyd died. And the reason you're wrong if you question that is because it's been normalized to just say on assumption that he died from police violence and racism. So to question that narrative is to be abnormal and that is what she, she gets at here when you read further and if, I see in
0: order, that yeah. what you're saying like that I, somebody maybe it was Byron sent us an article where yeah because he pulled out a quote that said a conspiracy something like this like the the, the thing that has to be stopped is when people question question vaccine information that is presented as fact yes so it's not that you're questioning it's that if it's presented as fact you must accept it and i I assume that means like the authority thing yeah that you're exactly that what they're what they're targeting is people who won't accept what they are told are facts i mean it's really mind-bending
1: yeah it is and she talks about how narratives that are good enough, that are strong enough, they will not allow counter-narratives. They will not allow those questions. Let me lay this final one on you here. I think this might blow your mind here. She says that these influential narratives, what they do is they work to ascribe identity in the interest of getting individuals to regulate themselves. So getting us to control ourselves so that they don't have to control us. And then she says, these are the techniques that get the target audience to internalize the interest of external powers. Get the target audience to internalize the interest wow. of external powers. Boy, the tech, yeah, the techniques recruit individuals and groups to play an active part in their own oppression, oh. such that an authoritative wow. ideology is internalized and continued by the target himself. Wow, that did blow, that blow my mind. Blow your mind.
0: First of all, I coined <laughs> an expression for my glossary called "manufacturing advocacy." So, Noam Chomsky got famous by saying manufacturing consent, the consent of the governed, Hatip Etienne de la Boetie. But I always said, it's not that. As a radio host where people would call me, I found that they it was manufacturing advocacy. And a perfect example, it seems to me, is that I would have people who were small government constitutionalists, or they thought they were, yelling at me for not wanting to bomb Syria. And I mean, they would literally end up with the argument because Assad is a monster. like what the hell right. are you talking about yeah. like what where Where' did you get that fact? who you know what difference does it make? Like we have allies who are monsters. If that's what you're saying, you know they just they didn't even know why. A position was coming out of their mouths they just accepted it as part of their identity yeah it had to have been like a group thing that's why the birds of a feather thing is so important
1: oh totally that's that's right in line with with what she talks about in this book is, is getting that group to to join in unquestionably by and she talks about the tactic of repeating it over and over again and surrounding people with this information
0: well, that would go right to that Google thing where they—I mean, it—it it goes hand in hand with how social media is categorizing and targeting people from Facebook to Cambridge Analytica. Boy, there's a lot there. I—I I yeah. think we need more from. I—we yeah. just need more from. I'm logic. gonna write a Hopefully, full review
1: of these these books once I once I get done with. They're short and sweet.
0: Yeah, I mean, theory. maybe if we do a rap video, maybe we can get more clips from her, or maybe even like throw up yeah. slides that have some of her quotes. It's very totally. Hard I, I've
1: got a PowerPoint of hers, and I have a, more videos of hers. So yeah, she does. She, I, I've noticed that she does. She yeah. frequently goes and speaks about this stuff ever since I, we I found her in the beginning. And we play those videos. I was like, "What is this chick doing?" And she is all over this narrative warfare stuff across the board.
0: I want to see what the guy who strangles.
1: Children um, under his desk. Yeah. <laughs> in the video, what... the, the guy looks like he's got this look on his face and you can only see the top half of his body. Right. It looks like he has his hand on a child's neck and he's strangling a child. He's definitely the
0: time. not, there's no chance there's doing that, but it's like he looks <laughs> yeah. calm in every way except for like a bulging neck vein. Right. you just yeah, like, yeah.
1: hmm. Little, like, something tense is going on. I'm
0: really glad there's a screen between me and him. <laughs> But and yeah. that's all I got to say about that. But I want more from this chick. And people are wild for this video that you already put up. Did you, how many hours of it did you put up already?
1: The first one is oh, okay. part one of the Narrative Warfare series is uh, two hours and 15 minutes, maybe. Part Holy two is
0: cow. And you put that up already, right?
1: Actually, probably about closer to two hours, yes. And part two right. is 50 minutes Part three will be coming on Thursday. Wow.
0: All right. So, yeah, by part three, like I was <laughs> like dehydrated. <laughs> and I, like, you know, I mean, like you can just see. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, if people want to go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report, they can find that. That was not a story to push the Rockfin thing. It was just fascinating because this chick will it's, blow your mind. Yeah,
1: and you see it everywhere when you. And she seems like a, like, a,
0: like, a, like a nice lady.
1: She does. She seems she like a nice lady. She doesn't seem like a, a psycho or a bitch like a lot of them do. She seems nice in her presentation, but I bet behind closed doors as a boss, she is ruthless. Because the way that she casually talks about cr- causing war and, and stirring up nations and undermining an entire nation, oh, so of she's like adversary.
0: she's like the digital Machiavelli. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's just like wants to the modern, really hyper, futuristic Machiavelli. That's a great description. Uh, anyway, I um, mind blown, as they say. So I want just a couple of quick shout outs till we move on to the patron 15. Chris, our later latest patron. Thank you for joining. Thank you for your support. Hope you love the show. Hope you love the patron 15. We let our hair down a little bit. Um, I try to have some fun. So interested in your feedback. Andrew, uh, a longtime patron saint. Gives a really nice shout out, a shout out to all the lovely homeschoolers. We actually did a Zoom party prompted by one of the Q&A questions from Andrew about how to view homeschooling versus social isolation, all that kind of stuff for his new baby. And and the the propaganda report community uh, rallied to the call. And he says he shouts out all the lovely homeschoolers, especially Jill in Arizona with her exuberance and awesome ideas, not to mention expertise and experience. Like I know that that she's going to I'm going to invite her on to do a live stream so that everyone gets the benefit of her wisdom there and experience. She totally set my mind at ease and fired me up to handle my daughter's education in-house. Best Zoom party yet. Thank you very much. And now on to the patron fifteen.
1: All right. You guys can find your drive time news blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. If you want access to that extra content that we post every time we post a DMB, go to patreon.com slash propaganda report or go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report and subscribe. We will talk to you all in the Patron 15 or tomorrow. Have a fantastic rest of your day.